Hello and welcome to Criticism is Dead, a weekly culture podcast about what we're watching and what it all means, if it means anything at all. I'm Helen Keskin Liu, a producer and writer. I'm Jenny Zhang, a culture writer and critic. This week we're talking about Pachinko and Winning Time, two very different approaches to the retelling of history. Mm. Mm. Yes. One true, one false. Adaptations, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, How's your week been, love? I'm excited to get into this episode, by the way. I think it's going to be very juicy. Me too. Me too. I am too. Before that, I guess I'll just shout out something that I've been watching recently. I think if Mm. any of you follow our Twitter account, you know, we've already sort of tweeted a recommendation for this, but uh, the show Old Enough, which is currently on Netflix, it is... Uh, like film documentary style, very short bite-sized episodes about the very small children in Japan who are sent out on their first errands. And it's yeah, so cute. I don't know if I felt like this happy, like pure warmth and joy from a show yeah. in a while. And I mean, who couldn't love it? Who couldn't love it? If you're ever feeling a way about the state of humanity, by all means, watch this show. <laughs> it, it's just... <laughs> There's really nothing yeah. more pure and lovable about just watching a bunch of kids try and figure figure out very very simple tasks. Yeah, and a lot and of a lot age. of highs, a lot of lows. It's really oh, yeah. you know the whole range of human emotion is is in there. Yeah, but yeah, so very soothing times for me recently due to the show. Yes. But what about you, Pal? And what have you been up to? Uh, in not so soothing times, I'm just gearing up for my annual London trip. Mm-hmm. And I've got like pre-travel nerves, which is oh. really silly because I do this every year. I don't even know if it's nerves. I think it's just like I'm going to be in my parents' house for like three weeks. And I think I am, under- my therapist would say, I am understandably, understandably <laughs> just mentally trying to prepare myself for that. Yeah. Um, but I do miss them and I do miss London. So I'm, ex- I'm, ex- I'm super excited to be there and just roam around the fucking streets you know what i mean yeah like, eat yeah. eat all the good like london food like see yeah. all the great sites I, yeah. I don't know what i booked what myself tickets to the theater Ooh, so, i know i haven't been in i'm gonna say i was 18 the last time i went to a theater Ooh, show that's a yeah. while it's a very very long time Anyway, um, speaking of travel, uh, <laughs> I guess different countries and, yeah. and different International. cultures. What a terrible segue. Oh, my God. We'll go with it. <laughs> what have you been watching? What have you been watching this week, Jenny? Jesus. Yes. <laughs> uh, I've been watching Pachinko, which is on Apple TV+. This is a drama series created by Sue Hu, directed by Kogunata and Justin Chan. Mm. Um, and this is adapted from the novel Pachinko by Minji Lee. And this is a show that will have a total of eight episodes for its first season. And mm-hmm. at the time that we're recording this, six of them are currently out. So there are just two episodes left. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take a moment to explain like the, the book and like the story. It's going to be a little bit long winded. Um, The book is a historical epic that takes place across approximately eight decades from the time that Japan annexes Korea in 1910 through like World War II to like the post-war economic boom in Japan uh, right before the economy started, you know, stagnating. And the main character is this woman called Sunja. She's played by Kim Minha in the in the series uh, as like the younger version and then her older self is played by Yoon Jung which you might know her from Minari which you talked about in a previous yeah, episode the Academy Award winner yes. yes 
So Sunja is a young Korean woman who lives in Busan, Korea with her mother. As a teenager, she starts, I guess, seeing an older businessman mm-hmm. named Kohansu, played by Lee Minho in the series, and she ends up getting pregnant, only to find out that Hansu is already married and just wants to keep her as a mistress in Korea while he still has his like wife in Japan. Yeah. So she ends up actually uh, accepting an offer from a sickly Protestant minister staying at her mother's lodging house named Beck Isak. Mm-hmm who's played by Steve Sunghyun No, and he offers to marry Sunja, just kind of out of the kindness of his heart to, to do a good deed, yeah. to give her some legitimacy. And so the two of them, they wed, they move to Osaka to live with uh, Isak's brother and sister-in-law. And there, Sunja finally has to, you know, start living her life, which is very difficult in that mm-hmm. time. You know, there's poverty, there's oppression from the Japanese, you know, towards Koreans at the time. It's mm-hmm. a lot of not easy stuff to deal with. Yeah, it's not great. Yeah. And then at the same time, the show has made the decision to spend an equal amount of time in the contemporary period, uh, which is in this context, 1989. It's showing Sunja as an old woman and her grandson Solomon, played by Jin Ham, who is an American educated finance guy in his late 20s who returns to Japan for a business deal and to sort of uh, deal with his own past and uh, people from his past specifically yeah. in this timeline. So that is the whole context for to get started like on, on the series and, and the mm-hmm. book and everything. It was kind of a lot. But I just want to ask you first off, Pellin, how far along are you in watching the series? And have you read the book? I am up to date with the series. I read the book, I'm going to say about three years ago. So yeah, it's been a while it for is me not too. Fresh. Yeah, it is not fresh. I thought about rereading it, mm-hmm. um, but I'm already reading three books right now. Yeah, and I was like, and well. it's a it's a it's a it's a hefty hefty book. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's but, definitely an epic. Yeah, um, I yeah. had to uh, I had to refresh myself too. I like read mm-hmm. the Wikipedia summary for for the book. Uh, it, yeah. It's been a while, and I'm just gonna open the episode by saying. Like I think it's it's going to be kind of a task to talk about Pachinko for me mm. because it is one of my favorite books written by one of my favorite authors. I've been looking forward to this adaptation for a long time. Right. And I don't want this to turn into just like me complaining about <laughs> the differences between book and show. Yeah. Um but I it's going to have to in some part because I am a little bit disappointed by what mm-hmm. has been lost or changed from source material to yeah. what we see on the screen. Uh, what about you? I think the first thing that I was surprised by, obviously, in the first episode is the dual timeline. Because yes. the, the book is famously very linear. Like, yes. That's like that's part of its appeal. Yeah. Is that you literally go through each generation mm-hmm. um until you get to the point like it, it's it's a it's a device employed by a lot of people trying to do something over, you know, centuries either centuries or decades or whatever. That's the comfort blanket about it. That's what felt very like you were taken care of when you were reading it. So I, I was a little bit taken aback by that, but I think initially I was like, I get it. I, I think it's really hard to do linear and keep it interesting for TV. So yeah. I understand completely the choice for it. Yeah. I don't think it... Uh, so I, I get why you're disappointed. I don't feel that kind of disappointment. Do I think it's excellent? No. <laughs> I, I think it's I think it's fine. I think it's an okay TV show. Um, yeah. It's certainly a treat 
visually so yes. <laughs> you know I'll, I'll certainly give it that for sure yeah um yeah. yeah i think i mean i'll agree with your assessment on the the time jumps more or less i think it's too much i think it's it's quite jarring mm-hmm. um but i also still understand why they did that things have to be altered for the medium um yes and it we as tv viewers you know traditional tv viewers always want a protagonist to gravitate to they want to see this focus on such a like in the book Mm. they spent a lot of time on even her father like what came before her before we Mm -hmm. get into sanja and it's like no we'll just cut all that out we'll stick with sanja and then Mm -hmm. we'll also give a proxy character for the viewer to see themselves through even more which is solomon the young guy who is probably in the demographic that a lot of viewers are in so so i i guess it, it my question is are you in terms of the dual narrative, are you annoyed that it's the fo- the focus is on Solomon? Because I've read some fans being like, I don't know why we're focusing on him specifically yeah. when we have such a plethora of characters that we could possibly do this with. Yeah, I mean, I do think that Solomon, like the changes surrounding Solomon's storyline have been somewhat significant. Like it... Mm. Yeah. In the book, uh, a lot of the details are sort of different. There is a character who's like, even entirely missing from his life. Mm-hmm. Um, I think most urgently, like um, Ingu King, who is, of course, a friend of the pod. She was on an earlier episode. We love her criticism. She sort of identified a problem that I agree with, which she says the show suffers from a Julie and Julia problem in mm. which the relatively minor issues or problems that a younger character is facing, it gets overshadowed by the much higher stakes adventure of an older character. And in which case this is talking yeah. about Solomon and how, you know, he's struggling with his business deal. He's struggling with this uh, woman from his past versus when we switch back so rapidly and immediately to Sanja, who is, going through like life harrowing things like we are on the tens and antsy wanting to see what happens to sanja i don't feel that same sort of urgency with solomon and i think that's true yeah in the book he his role just like wasn't this big yeah um a lot of the focus was on sanja because again she is still the protagonist i think that's the same but uh yeah i also didn't like and this is something that shirley lee identified for the atlantic in in a review she was saying like the the series sort of tweaked the solomon thing to be more of uh i guess a statement or referendum on the differences between american and just like broadly asian perspectives like they they make a lot of solomon's things like oh you've been so americanized like you're a younger generation who is now speaking as as like a western indoctrinated person and Mm -hmm. that loses Mm -hmm. some of the subtlety of the originals which is so much about korea and japan and those get flattened together so much and when people talk about asian things or east asian things but you know there's a real history there of the colonization the you know the occupation and uh like very big cultural differences and uh you know different view perspectives on history so i feel like that was has a missing a little bit in in this series especially with how they talk about solomon but I don't know. I adaptations are so hard. And this is like the caveat again yeah. that I'm just going to keep coming back to and but at the same time I don't want to totally brush it off because we have seen adaptations that are so good. Like they yeah. not only do they avoid losing so much, but they also 
actually add a lot. They are really beautiful in their own way. And I think Station Eleven is one that I think of as a really good adaptation. I didn't read the yeah. book, but so many people said, actually, maybe it's even better than the source material. Yeah, I mean, it's because adaptation, the hardest part is capturing the spirit of whatever the book was trying to say. Mm-hmm. Like, whatever was the emotional message translating that on screen is the hardest thing but the the second you get to that it doesn't matter what you change mm-hmm. which station 11 is a perfect example of doesn't matter yeah as long as you get you replicate that spirit or you even like make it richer by showing it on screen mm-hmm. um then that then you've done it you know like it's a it's a successful adaptation i yeah. think it's interesting that you say that thing about like about colonization uh with pachinko because i think it does a pretty decent job of basically teaching the audience if they don't already know what occupation looked like for Koreans at that time and then also what it was for Korean immigrants in Japan at that time as well. I think with Solomon, the issue, I agree that it is they, they focus a little bit more on him being American and a little bit less on the fact that he's a massive like he's working in a capitalist structure that money is everything and things have moved on because we're making money now. They try a little bit but I think the focus is a little bit taken away by everyone being like, oh, you've been in America, you don't get it. Um, in terms of like what it's trying to say about colonization and, and, you know, imperialism, quote unquote, and like the death of it, I think it's doing as good of a job as it can do. Like w- the, the thing about the old woman trying to buy the land from that old woman, I think that's like a perfect encapsulation of how Solomon as a generation is different from like that generation. So mm-hmm. I disagree a little bit. Um, I I guess like my bigger issue, like apart from nitpicking at that one storyline is I feel like the spirit has not been that successfully adap- like oh, adapted, like yeah, no. uh, uh, successfully transferred from one source to the other. I agree with that for sure. Um, like yeah. I was reading and I, I, I turned to a lot of reviews to sort of sort through my feelings with this yeah. and Funnily enough, I agreed with a lot of the reviews by Asian critics and especially Korean Mm -hmm. critics like uh, the Times critic Mike Hale. He wrote that his issue with the series, which I agree with, is um, it's quote unquote Hollywoodization. Right. So it sort of gravitates more to a very typically Hollywood style, uh, you know, uplift, uh, inspirational. Like this is a story of how to survive and how to overcome. And it's true that the book is that story as well. That That is the, yeah, the story of, of the yeah, of the main yeah. narrative as well. But it's, uh, I think it's not afraid to be dark. It's not afraid to present the terrible facts in very plain light. Like it, it doesn't shy away from that. Whereas in this series, yeah. what I'm yeah. seeing more of is, they're adding these flourishes that are, I guess you could say dramatic flourishes. Like they have a beautiful Korean singer kill herself in protest on the ship going right. towards yeah. uh, Japan. They have, you know, these kind of statements or, or speeches about, you know, from Sunja telling her sister-in-law Kyungi to be more independent mm-hmm. and, you know, don't be scared. And then you have like Isak's political awakening, like how he sort of, learns to think about rebellion these are all moments that i think could be true of course but the way that they are setting them up from everything from the soundtrack like the score that they pair with these they really push like a soaring 
emotive score that is beautiful on its own, but they pair it with dialogue that a lot of the time I think comes off as corny. Like there are are whole speeches delivered in very heavy handed ways, like screaming, like this is a moment, this is the moment where you should cry because this is inspirational. And I don't, I think all of that should have a lighter touch. Yeah. And I don't like feeling that I'm being manipulated into trying mm-hmm. to to get some tears out of me or to try to be like, yes, this is the emotional heart of the show. Uh, which, I, right. yeah, I don't know. I think that that's something that strikes me as quite different from the book, which is so yeah. stark in sort of its retelling. It has emotion, but it it really takes the form of this is history that I'm yeah. telling you. And I'm telling it, gonna tell it to you straight, like from beginning to end. Yeah, and it's it's intentionally exhaustive. Like the linear structure makes you feel like at that point you don't know what the hell is gonna happen to the characters. I think when it's good though, like when it does figure out a way to correctly <laughs> emotionally manipulate, I think it does a really good job. I think like the rice making scene with her mother mm-hmm. before she leaves to go to Japan. That was amazing because it was like mostly non-verbal. Yes, um, that's the key to it. It's That's the key. Yes. Yeah. Don't it just show me, just yeah. show me. And I just I was bawling like as someone that has left their mother to live in a different country. <laughs> Do not get me wrong, completely different position to be in. But my mum did that with her grand with my grandmother too, you know, like it's a just leaving your mo- mother is a very very painful emotion. But that was great. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with the rest of it. I do think that the the more like, it's going to be okay parts are just like, oh, fuck's sake. Yeah, so. and I really love that scene too. And again, like, totally agree. The thing that really made it is they don't make it so that everything has to be made explicit, which yes. is what they're doing with so many of the other scenes. Mm-hmm. They let it sort of linger in the air and you can feel the palpable uh sorrow and like bittersweet yeah. feeling and and that's enough and yeah. it rings so true um i i just really wish they had had that restraint for a lot of the other moments yeah um yeah. and also i'll add like interesting that they decided to kill off the the mother in this series and never let her see sanja again versus yeah reuniting them as they did in the book but yeah. anyway that's sort of an uh. aside but yeah I, I agree that there are good things about this series that are keeping me watching i love the cinematography it's mm-hmm. it's really beautiful the performances i think across the board are all very strong as well yes. especially yeah. with you know what they're given and they're also juggling multiple languages they're speaking yeah. korea and japanese sometimes english uh they're doing a phenomenal job all the casts i think in in all of them do you have mm-hmm. a a favorite performance so far yeah i think kim min ha who plays the younger sunja is a star mm-hmm. um i really love her i think i think i balked at her a little bit at the beginning because she, she sometimes i feel like she's overacting mm-hmm. um but i really like her and i also love Ko Hansu, played oh, by Lee Min-ho. Lee Min-ho. Yeah, I didn't know he was famous. Oh, he's a very famous uh, right? K-drama <laughs> actor. Yeah, I think he's great. I think the guy that plays Solomon, we've seen him before. He's in uh, Love Life and he's also mm-hmm. in Devs. Mm-hmm. Jin-ha. I like him too. I think he's he's doing a good job. What, what about you? What do you think? Am I am I alone in my thoughts? Yeah, I think I would agree with those. Um, Kim Min-ha, it's, it's really quite astounding also because this is uh, one of the few roles she's had. She's been working for a few years, but I think this mm-hmm. is really the the breakout role for her. Yeah. Um, I wish that Yoon Ye-jung was being given more to work with right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's yeah. quite sparse, especially because the contemporary storyline 
is so Solomon focused, so she doesn't even appear that often. Yeah. Um, but uh, maybe in time, like with the later episodes or future seasons, she'll be able to flex her acting a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I'd agree with those assessments. I think, um, also I really love the costumes and mm-hmm. yeah. what they're doing with the sets. Uh, like it, I'm thinking of her home in Korea, the fish market, but also mm-hmm. the kind of Korean ghetto that they have to live in when they arrive in Osaka. Like uh, yeah. all of those, you know, the, the atmosphere and the details of the props and the sets. I think those are quite realistic seeming and they they really put yeah. me in the moment there for sure yeah you can tell this has a budget so yes definitely. shout out to apple um <laughs> you know cutting that check i have a question for you yeah um this is a show that dances between two languages that are not well three languages yes. one of them being english but it's a non-dominant language yes. and it's mainly just in korean and japanese mm-hmm. Like, I think it's pretty great that this is something that Apple is doing and, like, that we are getting in TV. And I think more and more people are okay watching this. How did you feel about, like, what this means for, I guess, like, international TV, like, making its way into it? Because it, it, I can see why this could be a bit of a struggle for for some people to get around, like, constantly reading subtitles. But you really get the nuances of that, like the the, the switch between the languages. I, I thought it was a really important device to explain something. Yeah, totally. And they have different colored subtitles for each language. So Japanese and Korean will be in different colors uh, when the English translations come on screen. I think it is very important because they do signify, you know, the use of language is such a huge part of daily life. And especially yeah. if you are someone who is living in a different land than you were born in. Yes. Uh, Like, it's such a huge role, which sort of, what sort of code switching you're doing, who you're talking to, what language you use with them, whether you slip back and forth, what terms of endearment you would call each other. Like, sometimes you see characters are speaking in Japanese to each other, but this, you know, they call each other by an honorific in Korean, like, plop in the middle Mm -hmm. of their Japanese sentences. And that's really important, I think, especially in this show, because the co- that context, the linguistic context, is so important. I- I'm not sure exactly, I can't say exactly, but I would hazard a guess that probably something like Squid Game helped mm-hmm. pave the way for more of these shows. Yeah. It, like, not have to cater so much to English-speaking audiences. Yeah, sure. And yeah. I- I'm sure that Pachinko, probably there, it was in development for years before Squid squid game even came along but it's a good argument because it's showing that a lot of these audiences in english-speaking countries in the u.s in in the uk in canada whatever they're very open Mm -hmm. uh or at least a certain subset of them a large subset of them are very open to these international offerings yeah yeah i was listening to an interview that sue hugh gave about the technical process of getting that sorted of like Mm -hmm. two different languages in terms of like the writing to the translating Mm -hmm. and it's a mess dude and it makes sense because i heard a rumor in the early in the year that this show had like two post teams quit like the entire team quit and i was like what the fuck is going on that sounds like a mess and then in the interview she was like yeah like i have to write the script in english Mm -hmm. send it to both the japanese she's a korean speaker but like she still needs to send it to the korean translator and also obviously the japanese translator mm-hmm. and then the korean translator sends her back the script she reads it to check that it's okay for emotion obviously with the japanese translation she just it's just blind faith 
And then after that's done, then it's sent over to the actors. And then like some of them are learning Japanese or Korean. Um, and mm. it just seemed, she was just like, yeah, it was very, very complicated. And I was like, well, that God. makes sense as to why two post teams quit. Cause that's their whole job, <laughs> you know? Um, but it was just, it, I mean, it's a lot of work. I'm just really happy that they actually, yeah. you know, expended energy doing it. Me too. Yeah. And yeah, thank you for giving translators more work. It's oh yeah. It's very important. Yeah, I mean they're the effect is great. Mm-hmm. Like um yeah. I can't tell for the Korean, but for the Japanese, like most of it is sounding like very like no glaring accents yeah. or grammatical errors or anything. So yeah. good job. Good job, like, everyone. Um, it, it, sorry it was a fucking hellish amount of work to do, but thank you for pushing through. Oh it. yeah, for sure. It definitely sounds much better than Tokyo Vice. <laughs> I'll say that. Oh, I have not gone into that yet, but... Woof. Um, <laughs> uh, they tried their best. That's all I'll say. Um, nice. I'm also going to shout out the opening credits, which mm-hmm. I really, really like. Yeah, they're great. Um, such a beautiful set of, I don't know, everything. It's one of those ones that I have to watch every single time. Mm, yeah. Because it looks and sounds so fantastic. Yeah. It's very good. Um, it, there's this like trend that I'm seeing of like actors dancing, and I've just like added. Oh, it, really? Added it to that cat. Yeah, like I feel like dancing sequences are just so important now. Whether it's like in it, an opening or a closing credit, or in a pivotal scene of some kind, um, mm. everybody loves to dance that's, now, man. That's true. I hadn't thought of it that way, but good observation. Yeah, man. Uh, but overall, you know, Pachinko as the book reader, some disappointments, but. Overall, you know, yeah, enough to keep me watching and to keep me looking forward to each new episode each week. Although I can't help but wonder what a slightly different version of this Mm. could have looked like. Yeah. But I'll take it for what it is, which is honestly where we have to meet most TV and most films anyway. Just take it for what it is. Yep. So what did you watch this week, Helen? So I've been watching Winning Time on HBO and HBO Max, respectively. Um, it's in that coveted Sunday night slot. So from the point in which we're recording, six episodes are out. But yeah, it's an hour-long drama created by Max Borenstein and Jim Hecht. And it's an adaptation of the non-fiction book Showtime by Jeff Perlman. So they were going to call it Showtime, but I think Showtime the network had issues with oh. it, so then they changed it to <laughs> Winning Time, which sounds weird, but we're rolling mm. with it. Um, so the book and this show retells the rise and the glory days of what is called the Showtime era of the Los Angeles Lakers, which began in 79 when Jerry Buss took ownership, Dr. Jerry Buss, my bad, took ownership of the team (laughs) um, and had uh, rookie Magic Johnson and the team captain Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And they went on to like basically incredible success uh, that changed the game of basketball forever and certainly changed the franchise of the Lakers forever. Mm. So this show is executive produced by Adam McKay, (laughs) our favorite fourth wall breaker, (laughs) Um, And he directed the first episode, which essentially, you know, sets the precedent for the look and the feel of the show overall. So Mm -hmm. the look and that feel is, I think, the thing that has gotten most people riled up, uh, which is, you know, it switches from what looks like 8mm, 16mm, 35mm film, and then also VHS cameras, uh, like VHS Mm -hmm. camera footage. Uh, as well as like adding just like fun graphics and like flourishes of of cartoons and whatever. So I, I was going to ask you, um, first of all, how far are you into this? And B, how do you feel about this so far, especially with regards to the look and the feel? 
So I've watched all six episodes that are currently available. Oh, damn. Okay. Um, Good. Yeah. I, I thought I was only going to make it through a few of them, but I wanted to keep going because it's a very fun show. Yeah. And yeah. I think the look definitely adds to some of that. It's mm-hmm. it's really stylish. Like, there's a kind of panache to it that I think a lot of other TV is missing right now. Yeah. Just like a kind of out there and mm-hmm. having fun and throwing everything on the wall. Yeah. And for me, it's proving to be kind of a delight in that yeah. way. Yeah. So part, part of the choice of making it look and feel like archival footage is because the NBA did not give them permission uh, for, what it's oh. worth, for what it's worth, NBA famously does not give archival footage easily. Oh, so interesting. there's that, but there's also the fact that this show is not liked. They have not gone on record to say that they don't like it, but everybody knows that the NBA does not like this, this mm. TV show. I wonder why. So that's always fun. I love a little bit of drama. Yeah. Um, I think the the thing that most people, when they first started watching it, was like you talked about a lot of panache when it comes to the look. I completely agree. I think there is something that at first you might balk at because it is so different and it does feel a little bit jarring at first. But like the more you ease yourself into it, and the, and from episode to it doesn't relent. You know, like it kind of keeps going. Mm-hmm. It is very confident in its decision. Yeah. I really am happy that it's like they're, they're not like we're gonna try it a little bit. No, like they are balls out the entire way. Yeah, like there's a there's a thin line between being kind of garish and just being. Yeah, I don't want to say visionary, but being like a, a <laughs> someone who is really trying some new stuff in a admirable way and that line often comes down to confidence and how self-assured you carry yourself and yeah and this one by really sticking with that ease of confidence that is what is making it fun and stylish instead of corny which it could so easily fall into oh totally i think like hbo is famous for giving its creators freedom to kind of do whatever they want obviously we know this from sam levinson because he just seems to be doing whatever he wants (laughs) um especially visually which you know we know when he's like i think we said before uh that he it looks like he's a film student building up his reel (laughs) with the different techniques that he uh tries to employ but like this is a great example of like cohesiveness and understanding exactly what it's going for and like trying to capture a certain time Mm -hmm. um which i think it does really well and speaking of story right like Mm -hmm. if we move away from that how how do you feel like how did you progress yeah i think the first couple episodes were a little bit harder to get through i'm not inherently interested in the history of sports or how things came to develop in the sports world um but once i got into episode three i think is when i started to enjoy myself more and just let myself relax and I knew like the different moving parts now I knew who the characters were I started to enjoy just the the sense of fun and the story as it was unfolding so it took it took a little bit for me to get into it but now I then I just couldn't stop watching the rest of the episodes obviously yeah I mean a lot of critics have said that the first couple episodes are what they would call like throat clearing which I think a lot of tv series suffer from understandably where you're just trying to set the scene Mm -hmm. and you're just trying to like let everyone know like listen to me I've got something good to say um and I think like just giving context in terms of the background of some of the most like pivotal characters, especially with Magic Johnson, mm-hmm. 
it's not that interesting when he's in Lansing, but yeah. we need to see it. You know, we need to see him in Lansing to kind of understand the type of person that he is and how he eventually obviously transforms into the superstar that he we know him to be now. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought the choice of the cold open was interesting. So it, yeah. it's, the, the cold open starts in 91 when he's just been diagnosed with HIV. Mm-hmm. And then we cut back to 79 mm-hmm. um, to, to when it all began, uh, which again, it's like... It's trying to tell the viewers, we're going to get there, don't worry. But like, first, let's take a step back and see where we began. But yeah, you're right. Like once, basically, once the team is built, once we have figured out who the head coach is, it's all systems go. And and then we can start this journey. I, I'm really enjoying it, dude. Like, I am not a basketball like, I mean, I'm a I'm a basketball fan. I, I think it's one of my favorite sports mm-hmm. to watch. Uh, shout out to my husband who is mm. a bona fide basketball fan. I think it's thanks to him that I'm like into it. But for the most part, I really like. I get it, but it's also like not like you mentioned sports. Not for me. Like I I started watching Friday Night Lights. If we're talking about TV sport shows, um, and I I enjoy it, but I'm more interested in the character work and like the emotional undercurrents of the characters. Um, and I think the show is doing a pretty good job so far of like telling me who's what and what they're about mm-hmm. and what their personality is. Saying that, in terms of like character work, do you have a favorite character that you're the most invested in? Well, I think what they're doing with Irvin or, or Magic Johnson is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Like they found a great actor for him. One. Yeah. Quincy Isaiah. Shout out to you. Yeah. I think fairly someone who's like fairly new to acting to or, or mm-hmm. sort of on the rise now. Um, yeah. He captures the charisma so well, but yeah. also on the flip side, the asshole behavior that defines anyone who's like, you know, you're a young person who is now a bona fide star. Of yeah. course, you're going to be a raging asshole. And yeah. especially if you've been a, a, been charismatic and everyone has been doting on you your whole life. Of course, yeah, of course, this is going to happen. So he's yeah. someone who I think is doing a really good job of showing both sides to that to that coin to that persona um so really liking what he's doing yeah and it's funny because i think the real magic someone asked the real magic johnson if he's watching the show (laughs) and he and he said no oh Um, (laughs) but i think somebody that knows him was like magic watches everything (laughs) so he's like i i find it extremely hard to believe that the entire league is not watching this show they're definitely fucking watching it yeah um but yeah i mean I, I agree with you. I think Quincy Isaiah is amazing. Um, I think they struggled a lot to find someone that A, is tall enough, B, <laughs> looks like him a yeah. little bit, C, kind of knows how to play basketball. Um, yeah, and I that's what I asked for. I, I, asked, um, I asked my husband, he was like, well, he's not the best basketball player. Uh, but oh. he'll do and the way that they've <laughs> edited it is is good uh but yeah i mean the most important part is capturing magic's spirit right like his mm-hmm. his joy de vivre that he has you know and I, I think he does a really good job of that for sure i think in terms of me my favorite character has got to be uh jerry west <laughs> oh he's great by jason clark yeah um, so Jerry West, for those that don't know, is the guy that is the NBA lo- logo. And wait, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, he's the logo. Whoa. Yeah, dude. But he's he's a, apparently an incredible basketball player, very very iconic. We get that from the show. It explains that to us. Um, 
but his like existential crisis that he has about being a head coach mm-hmm. and just him as a person is is amazing I, I think Jason Clark does such a good job playing him um yeah. and I also speaking of coaches I also really like Jack McKinney who's played by Tracy Letts who I fucking love mm-hmm. in this I've always been a big Tracy Letts fan like he's like he's like a oh you know that guy the one that you can't you see him in shit yeah and you know. yeah but Tracy Letts, as we know, he was in Deep Water <laughs> um, most <Yeah>. recently. <laughs> um, but yeah, shout out to Tracy Letts, man. You're you're really knocking it out of the park. Yeah. Um, and then obviously, who could forget Adrian Brody playing Pat Riley, who is mm. arguably what I think most people would know as the Lakers coach. Yes, yeah. Um, God, anytime that nose is on my screen, I'm happy, baby. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> What do you make of um, John C. Riley as Jerry Voss? Oh my, he's so good. What a fucking scumbag. Holy shit. <laughs> um, I love him because I think there's an inherent comedy to John C. Riley, understandably. Yes. And yeah. I think even though he's a very powerful man in this, seeing him through that lens of that comedic tone, I guess, not that he necessarily has it most of the time, but it, it's just perfect casting, I think, yeah. because you really get an idea of like, the play not the playboy but the, the fact that he was a bit of a scumbag and like mm-hmm. kind of gross yeah. but also was very earnest in what he wanted for the team um yeah it makes you, yeah. you you love and you hate him which i exactly I think sums it up i'm really glad that uh adam mckay stuck with his gut and went with john c Riley instead of oh my God, uh, yeah. will ferrell which what? that's that's rumored to be one of the reasons will ferrell and adam mckay sort of fell out uh, one of many reasons, I think, but oh, yeah, apparently, allegedly, Will Ferrell, you know, was very interested in playing the main role in in the series. Let's do a TV show about that drama. Love that. <laughs> yeah, um, milk it for for all it's worth. Yeah. So I wanted to talk a little bit about truth versus non truth. Like this mm-hmm. is obviously something that is based on a book that is nonfiction. Uh, yeah. That does have. I mean, a lot of those books, especially with regards to sports and several men, as we know, men gossip more than women. So a lot of it <laughs> is hearsay. But I think for the most part, in terms of the what happens historically it's all very true i think Mm -hmm. the part where it takes liberty at is i guess what the characters do but the personalities i think are pretty accurate too i personally don't care like i think some people have compared it to the crown where again Mm -hmm. it's based in true stories there is a kernel of truth and everything else is like flourishes um and obviously as viewers like i don't give a shit like whatever you need to do to make this feel more compelling to me go for it mate because the kernel of truth is kind of still there you know jerry west might not be exactly how he is but we know that he has a temper and we know that he felt a way about his career you know like that (laughs) and we all get on his shoulder yeah yeah exactly Um, yeah i mean it does it's helpful that they have to stick within the restraints of the broad strokes of history like they can't just uh they can't just kill off jack mckinney <laughs> like they no. <laughs> they yeah. can't just like they things happen in real life and they have to more or less stick to that but the way that they get there is where they can take their creative liberties and yeah of course they always have the disclaimer on every episode like this is a dramatization like real events real characters sure, yeah. may yeah. have been blah 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 blah. shout out to lawyers so, yep. yeah yeah <laughs> always gotta make sure to cover your ass yep. so i i think that helps in that sense but there's parts of it i mean this story is so fascinating to me as someone that has no idea about this time 
like the fact that they invented the courtside seats is nuts because yeah, now I it's such no a idea. fixture now yeah yeah and then paula abdul just randomly showing up yeah like, i like screamed when they, they showed her name <laughs> it's so fun and then when they say when they refer to jack nicholson as jack a fan um, oh I, I love that wait i well. totally didn't even get that yeah Oh yeah. my god. Yeah. I think that the most hilarious part is obviously the whole like what could have been sliding doors moments where uh, Nike. <laughs> yeah. Where Phil Knight's Nike offers magic shares in the company and he turns them down. They're worth like 5.6 billion now. Fuck. That me. was funny. Yeah. I mean, I, I admire like when they include those little moments like that yeah. where those could be cut. Those can entirely mm-hmm. be cut. Yeah. Because you could argue they're not really adding anything. They're just sort of distractions. You could say that about a lot of the things that they do. Like, you could say the mob hit killing of that one guy. You could yeah. say that could be cut. You could say the the search of the coach. Like, all the these false leads. Like, mm-hmm. a lot of that could be condensed if you're going for a more streamlined look. But that's kind of the charm, I think, in a yeah. sense. Like, it, it is not afraid to take a sort of meandering path. Yeah, which it might turn off some viewers, like especially it does take a while to set up. But uh, yeah, it's sort of the the messy charm of this that oh, is totally, like yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna turn here and then yeah. I'm gonna turn here and I'm gonna take this aside and it just adds to this sort of wacky world that they're painting. Yeah, I it, I mean we talked about this with Atlanta. I I feel like this has got the same confidence where it's just telling you what it's gonna do. It's taking mm-hmm. us through that timeline. I actually asked my husband, like, mm-hmm. what do you think about this? As a basketball as, a, as an actual basketball fan. And he was like, the thing that you need to know is as a non-basketball fan, it does a really good job of straddling those two audiences of both basketball mm-hmm. and non-basketball fans, which is obviously the hardest part. Because how much do you explain? Yeah. How much do you explain without turning off the core audience, basically? And then how much do you signal to the core audience without alienating the people that, you know, wouldn't necessarily care? Uh, mm-hmm. So that's like the biggest talent. This is definitely something for everybody. Lastly, I, I kind of want to talk a little bit about the women in this show. I think some people think that it's a little bit uh, that they take a bit of a backseat. What do you What do you think about it? Like, how how do you feel about the women in this show? Well, I think it's true that they're not the primary focus. In that the team is a primary focus, mm-hmm. but I also think it is doing a decent job in like sort of nodding to these women and being yeah. like, here they are in i don't know the the quote-unquote background like yeah ancillary but also integral to their partners or husbands or boyfriends careers yeah. and like everything that they have to deal with on yeah. both when the player is still active still in like the peak of fame but also after the stardom has sort of faded away and they're yeah. stuck in like their little garage office obsessing over the past while their their wife has to be the one to support the family and her income yeah exactly i mean the most important characters i think are genie bus who is Mm. now the current owner of the lakers and is uh jerry bus's daughter Mm -hmm. and we don't know if that's how things went down but we know that she was working with her father at that time and that must have been a whole fucking mess you know yeah and obviously like cookie keely who is magic's wife so it's interesting to see their relationship kind of build up and see what it was like but yeah you're absolutely right like the way that it shows like how they have to suffer through the whims of like these men that think they're gods basically mm-hmm. yeah it's, it's it's really well done i just hope that we kind of get a little bit more into it that's all yeah yeah totally so yeah that's winning time if you're a basketball fan or not i think it's a really fun show to watch and it's also risky it's very adult 
And we mm. love a little bit of gossiping or like talking about history and seeing kind of like the inner workings of something that was pretty pivotal for a lot of people. So this week in culture, we just want to nod to casting announcements, specifically for two films, uh, Greta Gerwig's Barbie and Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. Yeah. They are really stacking the cast with everyone they can fit in for both of these films. Listen. Which is so funny. Yeah. If you're, if you're an actor and you don't have a part in either one of these films, just let it go. Just go to TV. Like it's not working out for you in the film world, mate. <laughs> yell, yell at your agent. So I think with, uh, I think Oppenheimer just has like a, an honestly ridiculous amount of casting. Who are some, who are some highlights from that cast? Well, so obviously far? we have, we have the main Killian Murphy, Murphy, Emily Blunt, Matt Damon, uh, Kenneth Branagh, Florence Pugh, Rami Malek, Robert Downey Jr., Benny Safdie. Shout out to you, Benny. Look wow, at you. Love you. Right. Love that for you, sweetheart. Um, Josh Hartnett, Dane DeHaan, Jack Quaid. Oh. David Desmalchian, who, uh, if you know him, you know that face. Yeah, it's just, we, we, we're just going down the list of white, white actors for the most part. <laughs> which is, which, sorry, Rami, don't mean to, you know. Don't mean to whitewash you. Uh, yeah. but yeah, for the, mo- for the most part, it's, it's, um, which makes sense, you know, considering what it's talking about. If they're all playing a bunch of nuclear scientists in the 50s, I'm going to assume they're white men. But yeah, that, there's that. But do you want to give, run us through Barbie? The, yeah. the Barbie news? Yeah, so the Barbie casting announcements have been rolling out as well. Of course, you have uh, Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling starring as Barbie and Ken, respectively. Uh, but then a lot of other people, so you have America Ferreira, Kate McKinnon, Simu Liu, um, Hari Neff, let me see, Issa Rae, Michael Sarah, um, Emerald Fennel. You, they were just announced that three sex education stars are going to be in this as well. Oh yeah, the so oh um the freaking girl that looks exactly like Margot Emma Robbie, Mac- Emma Mackey. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if they're gonna play with that. I wonder if that, they're gonna be. Uh, like yeah, a, she's like the new version of Barbie and or the younger sister or something like that. Yeah. It could very well be, but yeah, wow. it's just a lot of stuff has been coming out and. The number of names attached to this are so numerous. You're just, you, you know that some of these people are going to have approximately one line or they're going to have like a yeah. cameo or something and that's yeah. going to be it. But still exciting. Love casting news. And if anything, it just says like how much all these stars are, are willing to, the things that they'll do to be able to get to work with yeah. these directors, yeah. Greta Gerwig and oh my, I mean, Nolan. everyone wants to work with them then. It's really, and, and I think yeah. Gerwig is just, it's been a minute since she's had a film. So yeah, excited. Yeah. Lots of fun stuff coming up. And uh, speaking of that, what's coming up, we know that there's going to be a lot of TV coming out over this next month, yeah, these next few weeks. But we are going to be taking a little bit of a break, in a sense, mm-hmm. because travel plans, you know, just time for break, yep. stuff like that. Uh, so just a note on our schedule, we will not have an episode next week. But the week after that, we will come at you with a sort of one-off special, like Evergreen sort of special about some of our favorite TV shows ever. And then after that, we're going to be taking another week off. But we will be returning with a vengeance on May 17th. Taurus season. So it's... Let's go. Yes. Um, But in the meantime, please keep up with all these shows and movies and and telling us which ones we should be checking out. But yeah, it's... Thank you for bearing with us for this sort of weird on-off schedule that we'll be doing, but... 
Yeah, I don't know. What can we say? Everyone needs a little break sometimes, so follow, you should take yeah, a break Follow too, our social media. I'll be doing some dispatches from London. Um, if you want some pictures of me around the oh, town. Oh, yeah. Doing, Check out Palin's Yeah, doing my Twitter. best impersonation of, a, of an MI5 agent uh, that works in Slough House. You know? <laughs> nice. I, I'm looking forward to that as well. Um, but yeah, in the meantime, hit us up criticismisdead at gmail.com um find us at criticismisdead on twitter and instagram you can always just chat with us or send us recommendations of something you've been doing and we appreciate that um check out criticismisdead.substack.com to get extended show notes including everything we've been talking to and then a little bit more and give us a nice five stars on whatever podcast platform you use maybe tell a friend about us use this break to brag about us all you want but as always thank you so so much and we will see you the week after next see you soon guys bye criticism is dead is produced by pelin keskin lu and jenny jujang our music is by rika our artwork and design are by sarah macias and andrew luke